mediated conversation on SAFM. 27 minutes now to 9 the time. Time for your mediated conversation this morning. Well, I'm sure you've had the problem where you keep receiving phone calls from people who are trying to tell you something. Every weekday now, I probably get around 10 phone calls from landline numbers of people just trying to phone me to tell me something. But this has led the information regulator to try and find ways to stop this from happening. In particular, it seems that in many cases, companies and people are breaking the Protection of Personal Information Act. They're selling or buying your phone number and then using that phone number to try and make money. But this industry also employs a large number of people. And one of the things we are trying to do as a country is to grow the number of people in South Africa working in call centers. And not all call centers are people trying to sell you something. In fact, most are probably not doing that. You might, well, phone a call center to deal with an insurance claim or manage your medical aid or get help for some kind of service. What we're seeing now is that a very large group of South Africans are working in call centers like that for clients that are overseas. It's exposure to the rest of the world, if you like. So then, how does all of this work? First, this morning, the chair of the information regulator, advocate Pansit Lakula, we spoke to her yesterday about the cold calling that we experience. Then the rise of the international call center based in South Africa, the services that they provide. How many people are they employing? It is a sector which has grown dramatically recently. Reshni Singh is the CEO of the organization called Business Process Enabling South Africa. They deal with a lot of these uh, call centers that are dealing with international clients. And then finding the future of all of this, Jan Vermeulen is at mybroadband.co.za. We start then with yesterday's conversation with Panjit Lakula, the chair of the information regulator in which I asked her what action she can take over nuisance calls. Telephone calls, you know, um, we're still working out whether direct marketing messages through a telephone call constitutes electronic communication within the definition of that word in the law. Uh, There's a gray area there because uh, that uh, definition says that uh, Electronic communication means a text, voice, or image uh, that is uh, uh, transmitted over an electronic communication network and it's stored in the network until it is retrieved by the recipient or stored in the recipient's device until that recipient uh, retrieves it. So um, a technical, some people um, who are IT specialists say that uh, a telephone is an electronic communication. We are this week going to take a final decision on that matter. So basically, it can't go on forever. Someone's found a loophole and they're pushing the loophole as much as they can. Well, what I'm told is that when the act was um, uh, discussed, when it was still a bill, uh, there were people from the call center industry who who said that uh, if a telephone uh, communication is uh, brought within the definition of electronic communication that will kill the call center industry. But if you look at jurisdiction as elsewhere, if you look at the UK, for instance, they have a similar definition and a telephone falls within uh, electronic communication and it's not, it's governed by certain rules, you know, because there are rules within the, mm-hmm. the law that governs uh, direct marketing sent through electronic communication. For instance, people don't know even if it's an SMS, even if it's a, an email, that a company cannot just co- send a message and say, we're selling you insurance. The first communication that they have to send to you is a communication in which they seek your consent 
to send you a direct message, a direct marketing message. They should specify what is it that they want to market to you. They should also, you should, they should, they should also give you a, a an option to tell them what kind of communication can they use. Can they send you through an email or through text? That's what the law says. So even the SMSs, even the emails that we get are against the law. And this week, today, actually, we are finalizing for the first time a complaint that we received and we'll be issuing an enforcement notice that will deal with this matter, but not telephones specifically, but other forms of uh, direct marketing. Advocate Lakula, um, would this law cover political parties? If, if I remember correctly, you know a thing or two <coughs> about political parties and advertising during elections. Would this, uh, yeah. <laughs> would this apply to political parties too? Well, um, they don't sell goods or services. So whatever they do, they still have to ensure that they get uh, your consent. They, they have to ensure that they, they, they comply with the law. Mm-hmm. They can't just go and buy our contact details from uh, data brokers and bombard us with uh, campaign messages. We are also, if you remember, towards the elections of 2019, we issued a guidance note on that issue. We're going to be looking at that guidance issue, uh, note because we want to update it now that we are going into communication, so that into elections, so that we can also look at issues of disinformation and misinformation. When someone calls me or calls whoever, they've got their they've got the phone number from someone. Now. Has does that almost automatically mean someone somewhere has broken the Poppy Act because they've basically they given my number to someone without my permission? They have because direct marketers or anyone who wants to call you for direct marketing purposes can only obtain your personal information, including your telephone number, if it's in a public record or if you deliberately made that information public now what is a public record uh maybe the registrar of companies for instance the information that is there will be regarded as information that is contained in a public record but if that person gets your details saved from your facebook and or you know through another person because if i my details are on facebook and they are only available to my friends on Facebook, then I have not made my information publicly available because I've made it available only to my friends. And also, no one has any right to be giving out your telephone number. They must ask for your permission to say, Pensitlakula is asking for your telephone Mm. number. Can I give them your telephone number? That's how the act operates. So, I mean, I know the act operates like that and their consequences would probably end journalism as we know it. But that's a different conversation for another time. Advocate Lakula. Um, so if someone phones me, I have yep. always had the right to demand to know where they got my number. And I've tried that and they never, ever tell me. They always just say my boss gave it to me, which I know is, is sort of nonsense. Um could I then, if I know who the company was, say the company was XYZ Insurance, would I be able to come to your office and lay a complaint against XYZ Insurance and say, they phoned me, they refused to tell me where I got where they got the phone number from, I would like you to do something about it? Certainly, you can do that. 
and even ourselves, we are tracking those numbers because we are not immune. We get those telephone calls. It's no longer 087, by the way. It's 021 mm. uh, that they are using to phone us. But definitely the answer is you can come to us and lay a complaint. Do many people complain? or have people just given up? I mean, I think what people do no. is they block unknown numbers on their phone. You know, they complain. But what we have been doing is that would settle those matters uh, amicably and phone the company and say, so-and-so has complained, can you stop phoning them, remove their details from your database, and they would oblige. But on this particular occasion, the complaint that we have is of a person who got a, who was bombarded with many, many messages, and he many times said to this person, please stop sending me these, uh, it was emails this time. But even after opting out, even after doing everything, unsubscribe, she still got those messages. So that is the one, the, the complaint that we thought we should take forward so that once and for all, we, you know, we, we hold someone accountable for that. Advocate Pansy Tlekula there, the chair of the information regulator from that conversation we had with her yesterday. You were there, SFM, 18 minutes to nine. Let's hear now about the other side of the core centre industry. Reshni Singh is the CEO of Business Process Enabling South Africa. They've played a role in supporting the formation of cell phone of call centres here. These call centres generally help international clients in the UK and Europe and other countries. In other words, these are people where people in other countries will phone to the calling centre looking for help. Reshni, good morning. Thanks for your time. Good morning, Stephen, and good morning to your listeners. You support people in the international call centre industry that are based here, so people working here for international clients. How big is that industry at the moment? How many people is it employing in South Africa? So the industry, in terms of the international market, is probably, uh, we, we have about 100,000 people that um, are, are servicing the international market out of South Africa, predominantly out of um, Cape Town, Durban, and uh, Johannesburg. And the markets that we predominantly serve is um, the UK, the US, and Australia. Um However, you know, uh, these call centers are highly regulated and they obviously have to uh, be compliant with the source market uh, destination rules. You know, so so PCI compliance, for example, is something that um, most international markets require from these call centers. So it's a highly regulated um, environment of those that are part of our member base. So, so the PES is a national industry association that represents these operators. Um, and we ensure that there are certain codes of conduct that, you know, that they sign as members operating in the space because, you know, for us, it's about um, international reputational risk if you if you do the wrong thing. So whatever they do, and, and, and most of, of the work that we do uh, for the international market is more around customer service and support and solicited um, type of, of uh, responses and not necessarily uh, just cold calling and, you know, um, reckless uh, lead generation. Um, so, it, so it is quite different from the domestic market. Um, has the industry, so these call centers that are op- operating here for clients overseas, has it grown dramatically in the last few years? Exceptionally, it's one of the highest growing sectors in the country at the moment, creating, um, you know, a significant number of job opportunities for the youth in our country. So on average, I would say that we've grown um, about 20 to 22,000 jobs year on year. 
since uh, COVID. So COVID's done us uh, many favors in the sense that a lot of um, international companies saw South Africa as a quality destination uh, to de-risk you know, their strategy in terms of having too many of their call centers located in India and Philippines, for example. So they obviously looked at Africa and, and mostly um, South Africa. So we've, we've worn a lot of um, new campaigns, new um, you know, global um, outsources coming into the country. And it's been absolutely phenomenal, uh, like I said, for our youth in terms of creating opportunities, not just to get a job, but to get a quality job servicing an international brand, so getting international exposure and also getting a very clear career pathing opportunity um, in, within the sector. I mean, I imagine for a lot of people, it's your first job and finding that first job is very difficult. So you find this first job, it's really important for you. That's the kind of person that's probably being attracted. Yes, yes, most definitely. In fact, we, we focus on excluded youth. So youth that, that can't, you know, haven't found it easy to find that first first opportunity. Youth that also come from households that are really, uh, you know, living off social uh, grants, etc. So it is really trying to attract um, that category of um, of uh, youth into into the sector, and there's a clear pathway that we create through various different partners to be able to bring them into the industry, train them, give them some work readiness training. Uh, they obviously get trained by the the international um, operators as well, or you know specifically around uh, the campaigns that they would be um, uh, servicing. Um, and uh, you know as much as it used to be seen as a stepping stone career, um, but um, or opportunity, a stepping stone opportunity. It's now being seen as a career path because they can very quickly uh, transition into more senior roles um, within the organization. And as Vipesa, that is something that we're really advocating for because we want this to be a quality um, type of um, uh, opportunity mm -hmm. for them uh, since you know the, the situation is quite dire in terms of job opportunities in the country. Um, and and it's not just around calls, uh, contact centers or call centers. I mean, this sector, it's called global business services. So it's any IT-enabled service that can be outsourced or offshored. And some of these opportunities could also be in your finance and accounting services. It could include your uh, legal services, um, IT services, um, etc. So it's, it's quite uh, quite a vast range of services. Not all of it is voice. So when we call, when you speak about call centers, it's usually around voice um, activity. Uh, but now, like like the previous um, uh, speaker indicated, that um, you know, there's obviously uh, email communication. There's various different platforms of communication, right? And this is, is this is what we are doing for the international. Uh, market as well, but uh, within a very highly regulated space. How long does it take to be trained to do a job like this? I imagine there's a sort of course you would understand the system. Yeah. The joy of it is you don't need any kind of qualification. You need to understand the system and then you go from there. Yeah, so work readiness programs tend to be anything between six to 12 weeks um, and, and they vary. Um, so a minimum, I would say, of six weeks to make somebody competent enough to just enter the the call center environment um, and to be able to do you know what they need to with a lot of mentoring and coaching that follows thereafter. Um, so so it is a it is a quick pathway, but um, you know at the same time, like I said, there's a lot of uh, mentoring and coaching that that goes with it.
Um, do you think there's still space for growth here? Um, I mean, everyone talks about artificial intelligence, Reshni, and it's going to take over the world, <laughs> and a computer can, you know, talk to you like a human being can. Do you think there's still growth? Most definitely. So the DTIC has um, co-created a master plan with the with industry and and social partners uh, that looks at five hundred thousand jobs in the sector by twenty thirty. And we have been working towards that master plan. I think the human element will always be a requirement. There'll always be a need for analytical thinking and application. Um, so, you know, with, ro- uh, with robotics and, and those kind of things, they can just respond to, to prescriptive, uh, you know, text and, and, and predictive kind of uh, questioning, etc. But as you know, that in most cases, when we as uh, users of call centers, when we try to call them, we call them because we always have something that is a lot more difficult to deal with, and you can't actually get it done um, online. And, and that's when you actually need that human um, engagement. So I do not believe that as much as we are going in that space, that it would it would totally kill this, this industry, because, you know, we are um, social beings, and we do want to be able to speak to a person on the other side. So that is, is here to stay at least for, you know, the ne- next 10 years or so. I can't see that change. And I think that the master plan around 500,000 jobs um, is extremely possible. And we work on that on a daily basis in terms of attracting more work to South Africa and creating opportunities for our youth. Reshni Singh, thank you. CEO at Business Process Enabling South Africa. In a moment, this business, the future of it, Jan Vermeulen from My Broadband, nine minutes to nine. Mediated conversation on SAFM. Continuing your mediated conversation on call centers. Jan Vermeulen's at mybroadband.co.za. Jan, good morning. Thanks for your time this morning. Jan, are you there? I don't know if you might still... Are you still muted on I, your I side? Had you on, I, I had you on mute. My bad. I'm, I'm here. It's, it's great to be here. A symptom of our times. Um, I think people have become very frustrated with call centers, and yet they provide employment, important employment. They also provide an important service. Um, and it seems that we sometimes underestimate how important call centers can be. Yeah, indeed. Uh, uh, everything's fine while everything's working. But if you have a problem with your Amazon account, uh, for example, and you need to speak to someone, then you are very thankful that there's that there's a call center to help you. And in fact, I think um, people might like uh, if you look at mobile operators, they've moved away from call center support to more automated support. And I think people long for the days where you can speak to a human on the other side when you had a more complicated issue to deal with, trying to get to an actual human when you're calling Vodacom or MTN with a problem uh, is has become exceedingly difficult. You have to like know the secret code uh, to, to go through the, the various um, options when you when you call 135 uh, to, to actually get through to a human. So um, yeah, they, they, they do fulfill an, an important role. And, and um, in terms of you know the, the role South Africa plays there is we uh, provide um, uh, you know cheaper labor that is technically skilled and savvy that is able to serve um, other English-speaking uh, wealthier nations uh, like the United States, Australia, New Zealand, the UK. We're seeing huge changes around technology. Do you think that what the cell phone networks have done and other companies have done, other people are going to follow? Or there's some things like a medical aid claim can be just too, too complicated for any computer to, vote, to, to actually fix. Well, th- this is now where artificial intelligence comes into it, and uh, but there, there will always have to be that that fallback. So the reason uh, we're seeing companies go this way 
um, in South Africa, I think, is, is uh, partly due to the complexities of our labor laws. And so, um, you know, you, you saw like increasing protests among call center employees and uh, labor disputes and unrest and stuff. And so uh, you know, a lot of companies have taken steps to minimize the exposure and risk to that. That's that's one aspect of it. And then the other aspect of it is just pure is the cost. So even though um, for a UK or a US company, hiring South Africans to do call center work is relatively cheap. In South Africa, that's not necessarily the case. And so you, you could see more South African companies trying to find ways to offer that kind of support for cheaper, uh, and on top of that, minimize their exposure to you know problematic labor unions. Um, I think sometimes we want to avoid all kinds of advertising. So, you know, I made the point this week that many people now just ignore landline calls because they know it's someone who's calling them trying to sell them something. But it's not really possible to avoid advertising, is it? And in fact, if you're trying to sell something, a human's probably much better at that than any kind of anything else. Otherwise, people wouldn't use it. So people are doing this because it works. There might still be opportunities there for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and but I think what's happening is um, there's there's been dark patterns employed in this business, especially on the cellular side. Uh, th that tends to be where my focus is, which is why I know more about that than, you know, what insurance companies or medical aids are doing when they cold call people or, or um, you know, these uh, these guys are trying to sell you policies um from from uh, investment companies or whatever the case my life insurance and that sort of thing um but on the cellular side um uh, the the mobile operators uh, farm out a lot of this to third-party call center operators or third-party companies who operate call centers as a matter of business and um, what they do is they mislead people into taking out contracts um that they think offers better value but then end up not for whatever reason and i know that sounds very vague but um it it, it varies depending on the deal and um uh, wendy nola wrote about this recently which is why this is fresh in my mind um but uh, that that kind of behavior will make that regulators crack down on the practice so even though it is effective and it is potentially a wonderful tool for marketing things ethically the unethical behavior in the business will kill it and um, and it, it will cause a crackdown in regulation because people are being swindled to for 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 these companies to jack up their KPIs. And so that's um, while we're talking about it, a friendly warning from me to the industry: um, it, it, if the, the regulators uh, crack down on them and kill them, it's their own fault. Jan Vermeulen, thank you from mybroadband.co.za. Really appreciate the time. My thanks also to Reshni Singh, CEO of Business Practice Enabling South Africa, and starting us off today, that interview with Advocate Panzi Tlakula, Chair of the Information Regulator.